as we, uh, as we get into today's scripture, just, just a reminder of, of where we're at. And let me turn on my timer real quick just to, to respect uh, time this morning. But a reminder, we're in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. And we'll be in the Bible quite a bit this morning. We'll do our, our best to go verse by verse. We'll reference other scriptures. So I encourage you to keep your Bible in front of you just to, to have that. Some of those scriptures will be on the screen as we're reading them this morning. But let's just read this text again before we, we break down you know, what, what God's sharing with us this morning. So 1 John 3, 4 through 10, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him, being Jesus. Everyone who remains in Jesus does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen Jesus or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him, and he is not able to sin because he's been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. As you can see, today we'll be talking quite a bit about sin. And you're going to hear things through today's sermon. You're going to hear language like practicing sinfulness, practicing lawlessness, being children of the devil versus being children of God. And it can feel like a very heavy portion of Scripture, which is why I'm somewhat feeling some type of way toward Anthony for giving me today's text. But that's another conversation that him and I will have. <laughs> Just kidding. But some of you might, might read this text and you might hear today's sermon and you might think, well, if I sin, does that mean I'm of the devil? Or if I, if I sin, am I not an actual child of God? And that's a natural question given a text like today. And I, I want us to all be reminded that, that all of us are sinners. Every single one of us in this room are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. However, there is a big difference between living in sin and living with sin. And Pastor Kyle did a wonderful job unpacking that idea last Sunday. There's a difference between ongoing, habitual, intentional, rebellious sin compared to sin that we're convicted by, sin that we do not feel good about, we do not love, that leads to repentance, a confession of that sin, that then leads to a practice of turning away from that sin toward God and his righteousness and holiness. There's a huge difference from those two. 
And I had a hard time struggling with that idea as a young believer. As a young Christian, I couldn't comprehend the idea of my ongoing shortcomings. I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, but why do I still struggle with these things? And I remember sitting with a mentor over dinner and sharing my heart with not being able to comprehend living this way. And he pulled out a napkin from the table and a pen and he wrote the words sinless verse sinless. Sinless being without sin, never having sin, never struggling with sin, that not being an issue, verse sinning less upon conversion, upon coming to Christ, and a new heart's desire being developed in us, and sanctification taking place, where we still often fall short, but we are pursuing Christ-likeness. We are pursuing his holiness, and there is less of that sin taking place in our lives. And listen, y'all, as long as we are breathing on this side of eternity, that's just the reality. That's, that's what, what's, what's it going to be like for us. We're always going to be practicing this trying to overcome sin and living like Christ. Not until we enter onto that side of eternity in heaven will we be able to live in sinlessness. But there's a difference between those two. And I think to help better prepare us for today's text, I want us to look back at an earlier text found in 1 John, which mirrors a lot of what we're talking about today. And that's 1 John 1, verse 5 through 2, verse 6. And we might ha have that on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles in front of you and would rather read there, please feel free. Here's what 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 6 says. And again, this is a mirror of our text today. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. This is a beautiful mirror 
of 1 John 3, 4 through 10 and helps combat some of the ideas we might have if, if I sin, does that mean I'm practicing lawlessness or not a child of God? So like I said, we'll do our, verse to go, our best to go verse by verse in, in today's sermon with respect to the time. We have to read today's text with Pastor Kyle's sermon last Sunday. They go hand in hand. You'll see a lot of comparing. For example, you'll see in 1 John 2.29, which was taught last Sunday, it says, if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right, or another version says, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And that's juxtaposed with 1 John 3, verse 4. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So you see these comparisons right out the gate between the two. Practicing righteousness versus practicing sinfulness, which is lawlessness, verse 4 tells us. Sin is lawless, period. Sin is breaking the law of God. Sin is breaking the way of God, the instruction of God. And one who makes a practice of sinning is lawless. One who has ongoing habitual practice sinning is lawless, John is saying. And we have to understand what's underneath this heart of lawlessness. This way of lawlessness is a heart that refuses to submit to the way of God. It's a heart issue, not just a behavioral issue. It's a heart issue. We refuse to submit to God. A rejection of the law, a rejection of God's way is a rejection of the lawgiver, is a rejection of the source who gives us that law. And our tendency is to, is to think, I'm good. I got this figured out. I know my own way. I'm going to do my truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. When there is one truth and one way. And one who goes their own way apart from the way of God is lawless. Let's look at verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5 of 1 John. It says, You know that he, being Jesus, was revealed, or he appeared, so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. So Jesus appears that he might and does take away sin, because in Christ there was no sin. And we can find reference to this all throughout the Bible, the sinlessness of Christ. John refers to it in chapter 1, verse 5 of of 1 John. He says, in Christ there is no darkness. Paul refers to this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He says, for our sake he made him to to be sin who knew no sin. 
God made Christ to become sin when Christ knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin poured upon the sinlessness, the sinfulness, the perfection of Christ so that we might become righteous. And we'll read this together. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. One of my favorites is Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. Christ came to take away sin. Christ came to put back together what sin had separated. Christ came to make whole again what sin had fractured. In our lives and in all of creation, Christ came that he would unite us again to the heart of the Father and destroy the works of the devil, which we'll read later on in this portion of Scripture. And John says, everyone who remains in this Christ, everyone who abides, remember last week's sermon, if if you haven't listened, I encourage you to go and listen, but it opens up with abide, abide in him. And the week before that closes with abide in him. So chapter 2, verse 27 ends with abide in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 28 opens with abide in Christ. And here we are again in verse 6 of chapter 3. Everyone who remains or everyone who abides with him does not sin, period. Now what does that mean? If I sin, but I believe and I follow Jesus, what does that mean? We're getting at the, that heart again of practicing it, intentionally running toward it, habitual, ongoing, refusing to repent. That's what, that's what John is, is getting at here. And upon accepting this sweet gift of salvation that Christ offers, we no longer desire to continue in our own way. Our desires changed. When I came to faith at 19 and believed upon Jesus and tried to go back and smoke weed again, it was different. Something inside of me was like, this is wrong. No one had to tell me that. When I would go around my friends again and try to live in the same lifestyle that I was loving, but now I'm a Christian, something inside of me was guilty. Something was telling me this isn't the way of Christ. My, my uncle, my uncle spent, he did a lot of time in prison. And when he came out of prison, this is before I'm a Christian, he gave me a Lecrae CD. This is when CDs were still, you know, out, right? He gave me a Lecrae CD and told me to listen to it because he got saved in prison. He became a pastor. He wanted me to know Jesus. So he gave me this Lecrae album. And I went home and I played this Lecrae album. And I'm like, this is corny. 
this is not hip-hop. He's talking about God. Like, I threw it in the bottom drawer of my dresser. Completely forgot about it. Four years later, I come to faith. I get saved. I get invited to church. I hear the gospel. Christ wrecks me. He removes the veil from my eyes. I realize I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I realize this void that I have in my heart that I had been trying to fill with money and popularity and party and drinking and all these things would never satisfy. And the only one who could fill this eternal void in my heart is the eternal God himself. And I came to Christ and I went home and I remembered this CD that my uncle had given me, this corny trash CD, and I threw it in my car and I listened to it. And that same CD that I thought was bad music began to feed my soul. (laughs) And I just remember listening to these tracks, wanting more of Jesus. How do you explain that? But 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 change in desires that God gives us. That happens to us upon coming to Christ. This, <clears throat> this change in heart that we can't force. I don't know how many times before coming to faith I would try to stop doing certain things. <laughs> and I couldn't because I wanted them. But then I come to faith and I no longer want those things. I want Christ. But not only... Do our desires change? Not only do our hearts change, but upon coming to faith, we now become servants and slaves to Christ. We become slaves to a new way. We are no longer our own. We've been adopted and we've been bought with a price, and we have no right to continue in our sinful ways. Where we once believed that we were the captain of our own souls, we now serve as slaves to our heavenly master. Our loyalties are to God. We are adopted and called. We are assigned by God to be both in fellowship and partnership with him. Both being and doing. We belong to him as his children, as his sons, as his daughters, rightfully so. But we are also obligated to live like Christ. We no longer have the right to live however we want. But our servants, and as Paul references, slaves to Christ. The beautiful thing it's not, is, is that it's not a forced act. It's a desired one. And, and, and I want us to hear that, that I am not talking about simple behavioral modification. I'm not talking about moralism. I'm not talking about legalism. But there's a change in, in the root of our hearts. And, and our very desires now want Jesus and want holiness and righteousness and conviction sets in. And I, and I want to say, if you are struggling with sin in this room, 
pray to your God who created you to take away that desire. If you are struggling with temptation, pray to the God who who made your heart to change those desires in you from those things toward him. And I want to encourage us to not flirt or play with sin, to flee from sin. I know people who cannot even smell weed because they are tempted so they don't go anywhere near it. Whatever tempts you, why would we go near that? Whatever your struggle might be, flee and pray that God would change the desires of our heart. Verse 7, he says, little children. Now let's pause there. Little children. Let us receive these words of God as a child. Let us never come to a place where we think we've arrived. I get it. I understand it. I've been walking with God for 40 years or 50 years or or 10 years. I've been walking with God for a long enough time to to know better. Let Let us not come to that place where we think we've arrived, but let us have this posture of a child that's ready to receive instruction from a loving father to learn, to grow, to continue to mature as as little children. (laughs) He says, little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He says, let no one deceive you. So we got to know there are people who want to deceive us. We got to know that there is an enemy whose entire mission is to deceive us is to blind us, is to get us to go the other way. When Jesus says, I am the only way, Satan's mission is to say there's other ways. And his goal is to deceive. And our encouragement in verse 7 is to practice spiritual discernment. Practice spiritual discernment. To look for those who are living righteously. To look for those who are practicing the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and the goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, to look for those who are living in that way, not as judges, not as critiquing every, every believer's life, but to discern, because I have met people who profess faith in Christ, but their lifestyle doesn't change. And I have questioned in my heart, are they even a believer? And this is discernment, spiritual discernment, leaning on the Holy Spirit, not on our own understanding. Being careful and watchful because deceitfulness is out there. And not giving in to this idea of abusing God's grace. I don't know if you've met people, believers, who who lean on that belief that it's okay to do this because God is gracious. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and do this now, then I'll ask for forgiveness. That's not the way of the Christian. We do fall short. We do sin. We do repent and confess and turn away and turn toward Christ. But this other idea of God's, God's grace can be abused is, is not of God, and it's deceit. Jude 1.4, a few, a few books after 1 John says this, just, just hear the word of God. He says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people 
who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So we don't give in to this lie that Jesus is not the only way. But the reality is, church, we are swimming in a culture of alternative gospels. We are swimming in a culture of false gospels. Even amongst Christians, professing believers, we can find ourselves believing alternative gospels. False gospels. To the false, false gospel of individualism, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. To the false gospel of consumerism, Jesus says, it is better to give than to receive. To the false gospel of moralism, Jesus says, your righteousness is as filthy rags, and in your weakness my strength is made perfect. To the false gospel of the American dream, Jesus says, the way up is down, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. To the false gospel of political ideologies and tribalism, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. To the false gospel of sexual ideologies, Jesus says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end leads to death. To the false gospel of the almighty dollar, Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we have to combat, as Christians, these alternative gospels, these false gospels, and not be deceived. Look at verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. Just the first part, part A of of verse 8. It says, the one who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now, those who John wrote to at this time, they were struggling Because there was a division within their church. And many had walked away. Many who they had done life with had now walked away from the faith. And some of them, maybe they never believed in the first place. But they came in. And began to deceive. Maybe Satan drew some away. But this church found themselves in a place of confusion, which you hear in the heart of John as he's writing this. They found themselves in a place of hurt. Given that the relationships they've committed to were now fractured. And some of you may know people who have said that they believe in Jesus but are no longer living that life. Some of you may know individuals who you've done life with, 
who you've done Bible studies with, who you've broke bread with, who you've prayed with, who are no longer walking with Jesus. I know people who I've seen preach the word of God and are no longer living like Christ, walking away from the faith. And this happens in community. We come across people who we love, who we do life with, and then they leave, not just the church, but faith. And we wonder, what, what do we do with that? Were they, were they even walking with Christ to begin with? Were they truly saved? Did Satan deceive and pull them away? And what do we do with that? And there's this song that has ministered to my wife and I by, by a, a woman named Jackie Hill Perry. She's an author. She's a teacher. She's a powerful woman of God. And she wrote this song called Fall Away. And she puts into words way better than what I can in trying to get at the heart of what do we do with those individuals who have walked away, that we're grieving over, that we're praying over. And I want to share this song with us this morning. And we'll do our best to put the lyrics on the screen so you can read along as you're hearing it. But hear her heart, and maybe it can reflect to you, and maybe some of you are in this room who have wandered and walked away, and God is calling back this morning. Let's play that song. I don't know if you fella, if you was ever standing, but from my vantage, just like a pigeon that's candid, caught off guard by the bandit who's stealing Christians I ran with. This race ain't for the swift, yet it's tailored for the abandoned. This pain has made me ramble. It's like you gamble with life. Roll seven, did dismantle the dice. Bet on heaven while you dance with the price. I read the scriptures with you. You even handled it right. Saw the Christ in every text and exegetical sight. You knew the devil was a liar. What happened to you? I seen them on your Snapchat. You act like you happy issue. Sure, you don't remember about the fire. I'm glad to get you back. All them sermons that you preached about Adam in you. I guess them genetics sent you the wrong message. The wrong manic. You sick in the fix and thrown heaven. You stole heaven and mixed it with bricks. The stoners addicted. It gets harder to love truth. I get it. I love you and this what love do. Both feet off the ground now. You're barring, you're falling. The lights faded out. It's dark, but never too far from hell. Come back to first love. Come back to first love. Come back to first love. I don't know if you fella, if you was ever standing. But from my vantage, I know you ain't planted. This world ain't never random, it's mass strategic. You stopped eating what you really needed, was glad to leave it. Was mad at me when I kept it honest. Said your conscience was precious. Let you let the vomit at your sketch away what you knew would profit. You left a promise, I promise.
promise is true. I know that blindness seems like knowledge to you. Intelligence with hell in it and hell in powers you knew. Rebellion better, that's a lie from the bottom. Better yet, the devil never tells a lie that he ain't swallowed. How come you hollowed his name? You switched to places with the God who was came and bottled the shame that you carry. Bury body, he raised. You gotta be crazy cause you don't believe him. You don't believe him. You don't believe him. This life you leading is Christ you leaving. Despite the grief, it's your heart of stone. He can roll it back. I remember when you told me that. You told me that. Both paid off the ground now. You're borrowed. You're borrowed. Life's faded out. If I would never so You know, the, the reality is we're, we're going to struggle with this, you know, with the fact that people we do life with end up maybe walking away and, and we're questioning, you know, what that looks like. And, and um, yeah, if, if that song did minister to you, you know, I would encourage you to go and listen. But, but we grieve. We grieve. I mean, the reality is Satan is real and attempts to divide and to pull away, and to deceive, and combat the work of Christ as, as he builds his church. The, the latter part of verse 8 of chapter 3 says something extremely encouraging, <laughs> where there's a, a lot of sinfulness and lawlessness language Part B of, of verse 8 says, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Another version says that Christ made a public spectacle of them in the work of the cross. When our sins were nailed to the cross and Satan thought he had the victory. But three days later, our king rose again, destroying the works of the devil. Every single time Christ healed someone, he was destroying what sin had corrupted and he was giving a glimpse to his kingdom on earth. Every time he healed Every time he did a work, he was bringing his kingdom to earth again. He was bringing back what was broken. He was defeating sin and Satan's works, and he is doing so today. Until we come to this place 
We are in eternity with him again, and there is no more crying. There is no more sickness. There is no more death. There is no more sin. Because Christ destroyed the devil's works. Verse 9, we'll wrap up right here in in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Again, this is that practicing, habitual, unrepented type of sin. Because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he's been born of God. That goes back to that, those parts of us that, that sin and then it's like, oh, that conviction hits. Because the Holy Spirit has awakened us, is convicting us of our sin. Verse 10, this is how God's children... And the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God. Especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. The true mark of the Christian is a mark of love. And it's not love in how we define love. It's the love of God. We love God. We love our neighbor. And if you look at, if you look at the next set of verses... John begins to go deep into love. He says things like this in verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Look at verse 14 of of chapter 3. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Love is the mark of the Christian And we'll hear more about that next week. And as we close, I want to remind us that John was urging the church throughout this entire letter to remain in Christ. To keep our hearts and our eyes and our ears tuned to Jesus. One of my favorite hymns is, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So church, let us continue to turn our eyes, our hearts, our, our life to Jesus, and let the mark of our lives be love. Let's pray, and then we'll go into a, a time of reflection. God, thank you for meeting us. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, would you continue to to work in our hearts? Would you continue to, to perfect us and make us more and more like Christ? Where Satan wants to lie when we do slip up in sin, where Satan says, are you really a child of God? I I pray, Holy Spirit, that that you would silence his lies and that you would remind us (laughs) that we are your children and that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, you, Christ Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would draw in us repentance, confession of sin, so that we would look more and more like Christ, that we would reflect to each other, and to the world, the love of you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.